0: Welcome to another installment of the Whitaker Myers Wealth Manager's What We Learned in the Markets This Week video. We aim to provide you, our valued clients, with a brief video giving you information that is helpful to your understanding of the markets from a biblical worldview with no financial agenda, which makes us uniquely different from the news media in America. This video is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make investment decisions. The clients of Whitaker-Myers Wealth Managers may maintain positions in the securities discussed in today's video, all opinions discussed are solely those of John Mark Young, and not those of Whitaker Myers Wealth Managers. Hi, I'm John Mark Young, and welcome to what we learned in the markets this week, but our annual yearly version of our weekly video series. So, there's another year in the books. Low probability events typically don't follow low probability events. It's the exact reason why they are low probability, their definition. After a bad year in the stock market, 2022, and the worst year ever in the bond market, 2022, it's easy to be extremely pessimistic. That's an easy answer to the question, what will the markets do? Because of recency bias. We think what most recently happened will continue to happen, but rarely does it actually happen. That's why the SEC requires us to say so often... Past performance is not indicative of future returns. If you get 25% this year, don't expect 25% next year. If you get negative 20 that last year, don't expect negative 20 this year. Do you know that it's more likely that the markets will be up over 20% than post any sort of negative return? Yet we constantly fall into the fear that the markets are getting ready to crash based on some notional truth that is not grounded in rationality, but rather unrational fear. It's kind of like someone that has rabies. They have an irrational fear of water. Why? It's all in their head. A a splash of water is not going to hurt them, just like a splash of bad things happening economically, perhaps, politically, or socially won't kill the stock market. Let's look at some of the fear mongers that were out there this year in 2023. How about what I talked about a few weeks ago where Michael Burry, now he was the big short investor. Uh, from the video or the movie *The Big Short*, and he famously got the housing meltdown right. Okay, props for that. In August of this year, however, his fund, Scion Asset Management, bought 866 million in put options. Now that's a bearish bet that the market uh, was going to go down. And he did the same thing. He did that on the S and P 500. He did the same thing on the Nasdaq 100. Now, what happened after that? Well, the stock market did drop in September and October, but then we had one of the best runs ever. In November and December of this year, with almost no volatility, straight up, most weeks culminating, or most days, I should say, culminating in a nine-week positive run. Or what about the guy that Dave Ramsey has been telling you to stay away from since he wrote his book in 1997, Rich Dad, Poor Dad? His book is full of half-truths and things that he never even did himself to get rich, yet he tells you to do them. And here's a quote he gave this year. Best investments, cans of tuna fish. Inflation will take off. Best investments are cans of tuna fish and baked beans. You can't eat gold, silver, or Bitcoin. Food is most important. Cookie monster. Food is most important. Starvation, next problem. Invest in solution. End of quote. Well, I guess context is everything because if he just said this maybe right now, perhaps it's right. But he said it in June. Then what happens? The next few months, as you watched on this video series, we effectively killed inflation other than housing and autos, shelter and autos. And if it weren't for those two parts of the inflation game, we'd be in disinflation right now. And as those two start to come down, which I'm confident they will in 2024, you'll see the inflation numbers squelched even further. I think the majority of people get that these folks are charlatans, just begging, begging, pleading for your attention. And they'll say almost anything. They'll say the most outlandish things because it activates a level of fear in you that they know is one of the strongest emotions. Emotions that you and I possess. When we let fear, greed, envy or any of those emotions that are not fruits of the spirit come in, well it's it's where are they coming from? They're not coming from the Holy Spirit. So with that backdrop, let's talk about point number 1 in what we learned in the markets this year. And how did the markets fare in 2023? Well, as you can see on your screen, the S&P 500, which is our proxy for growth and growth and income, but only when taken together, that was positive 24.23% this year. The growth side of the equation was really on fire, being up about 41.4% on average. And the growth and income side, not so great relative to everything else, 8.84. But when you bring those two together, the growth and the growth and income, that's where you land with the S&P 500. Hence why we always say you have to take them together to get the S&P 500 growth and growth and income. The best performer last year, by the way, when the market was really bad, growth and income. So year to year, these categories are constantly changing, hence why you should have exposure to all four of the categories in some way, shape, or form. The Russell 2000, which tracks our small and mid-sized companies or aggressive growth in our Dave Ramsey vernacular, that for the year was positive 15.11% after make an amazing comeback. They were down 10% at one point this year, and they ended the year positive 15, a 25% swing. And finally, the MSCI EFA, which tracks our international stocks from developed countries around the world, that was positive 14.79% this year after nearly touching 0% in October, almost no return in October, and again, a 15% return since October, making another amazing comeback. So a great year. And what we learned about the markets this year, it's still the best place to put capital to work for long-term growth because you're investing in some of the best companies in the world. What a blessing to be able to do that. Point number two, the second thing we learned in the markets this year is what goes up must come down. Well, not necessarily. Like I said last week, the stock market is always hitting new highs. So that goes up and it does not need to come down. Sure, it takes a break between highs occasionally. If you read my article last year, Bear Markets, Normal, Not Fun, you'd remember that the average time between new highs when we hit a bear market, and of course, bear markets when we go down 20%, is roughly three years. It takes one year to go down on average, and it takes 1.7 years to come back up to where you were. So approximately three years. However, that's not the case for other things. And this is maybe where we get a little bit of confusion around the markets and other parts of the economy. With interest rates, it is a situation for what goes up will eventually come down and vice versa. Interest rates never keep hitting all new highs. They stay within a range. They go up, they come down. We saw mortgage rates this year nearly hit 8% in October, but then the inflation narrative started to change and thus the Fed's hardline stance on rates started to change and everything started to drop. Mortgage rates, treasury rates, the whole gambit And when rates start to fall, that's a good sign for future stock market gains. If you remember, I talked about a few weeks ago, the average one-year forward return when rates top out is 17% on the S&P 500. And we've had four rate hiking cycles since 1990 to test that. As you can see on your screen, rates dropping does take some of the supply demand issues off the table, which were propping up your home value. They're making your home value worth more than it probably should have been. So, look at that to continue to drop in 2024 a bit. And we're not talking about a dramatic drop, but it's just one of those, one of our base cases for a strong bounce in the economy in 2024 is when you have lower mortgage rates. And, uh, and of course, that other debt rates are going to be lower too, and more affordable housing for new buyers, which have been sitting on the sidelines for the past few years. That's going to push the market in the economy higher. That's going to be a strong impetus for the economy, a big tailwind. So essentially, we learned that any pain from interest rates is short-lived because the Fed only wants high rates for a time. Slow down the labor market, slow down the economy, which at this point, it seems they've done to a sufficient level. And they haven't break, broken anything except for maybe a few regional banks. And that pulls us into point number three. And point number three is a third thing we learned in the markets this year is when, when interest rates do go up in a meaningful way. It matters what your bank did with any excess deposits they did not lend out. Now, most of the time, these excess deposits are invested in a very safe and secure manner. What is that? Treasury bonds. Treasury bonds earn a little interest above what they're probably paying you on your savings account while they hold your money. Now, however, if the bank invests in a 30-year treasury bond because they want to juice up the return a little bit, and you and your friends pull money out of the bank before 30 years, then the bank has to figure out how to get that capital back to you. Hopefully they have other bonds coming due, but if too much money comes out, they have to sell those bonds, those 30-year bonds. Not a bad scenario unless interest rates had their fastest climb in history, putting negative pressure on the bond values. Interest rates go up, the value of your bond goes down if you need to sell it early. And thus realizing large, large losses. As you see on your screen, that took out a few banks and made them worth nothing today <laughs> when realizing all those losses. And for other banks, it allowed them the pleasure of delivering a negative return on their stock price year over year when the market delivered double-digit gains. Look, I used to work for a bank's wealth man- management division, so uh, and I did that for nearly 10 years. So, so I'm talking a little bit of my book here. Uh, but... If they can't be fit to manage your excess deposits well enough, can you trust them to manage your investments? No, I don't think so. Absolutely not. This, is, this was a sign this year that they have poor risk management c- capacity inside of their, their banks. This is why, like Dave Ramsey says, you shouldn't invest with a bank. Many of us former investment bank professionals all eventually leave there. We realize that. However, now that the storm has passed, we do think that the financial services sector should be one of the most overweighted positions in your portfolio from an investment perspective this year. Why? Because interest rates have stabilized at this point and they're even coming down, which means they can let those bonds roll off of their books without much fear of taking further losses, reducing their cost of capital. And all the while, they were able to reprice many of their loans at higher values. And the fact that these banks do manage lots and lots of money, those asset values on that money they manage are presumably up market's up so big this year. So this is a sector we feel one should slightly overweight should you want to be tactical with your portfolio financial services. As always, you must talk to your advisor before implementing any investment strategy to ensure it meets your unique needs. And finally, point number four, what we, the last thing we learned in the markets this year is that Proverbs 22.7 still applies. The borrower is still slave to the lender and the U.S. consumer and the U.S. government still hasn't learned that lesson whether it's credit card debt, auto loan debt, or the U.S. government's debt, we reached new highs in all of those categories this year. Now, as I've said before, that is to be expected. Okay, I'm not raising red flags like, oh, we're hitting all-time highs in debts, you need to run for the hills. No, no, no. That is to be expected because the economy is always getting bigger, the population is always getting bigger, and thus more debt on a bigger shovel, income as Dave calls it, is not the same thing as saying your income is consistent or flat and you keep taking out more debt. If you would do that, that would be unsustainable and result in bankruptcy for sure. The issue we have is we continue to put pressure on our lives by having the debt that if bad times do come, and, and when they come, they only come for a short period of time, they don't, they're not here forever, but they do come and they can squeeze our margins and credit puts pressure on our lives. Pressure that we really don't need to have if we can get it out of our life. That's why we advocate that clients start this new year on the right foot. Pick up where you left on your baby steps. If you if you got Dave-ish a little bit, remove that debt from your life. If it and it, it and if even if it means lowering your baby step four to just your match or whatever for a while, that's okay. We can even show you why that's okay. But don't be one of the reasons that this number continues to go up. The auto debt, the consumer debt, the government debt. Of course, you have no control over that other than who we elect to go to Congress and, and the Senate. But these are things that we think y- you can control the your own personal debt. And that's a way to remove stress out of your life in the new year, to be focused on the things you should and can focus on, your family, your health, your spirituality. All, all those sort of things are things you can focus on when you're not worrying about debt. Proverbs 22, 7, as we know, says the borrower is slave to the lender. And right before that, Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old, he won't depart from it. Those two verses are together and, it, and I think it's very interesting they're together. Proverbs 22, 6 and 22, 7. Why? Because your, your kids probably pick up on the stress that debt has brought into your life and or if you've paid off your debt and you've celebrated that by doing your debt snowball or doing something that, that said, hey, we, we accomplished this goal together as a husband and wife and look, look, how, look, look how much stress this has taken away from our marriage, taken out of our lives. Your kids will see that and that'll be what they want when they get older. They'll see contentment in you and learn contentment from you. And that is a lesson that will yield dividends upon dividends upon dividends uh, there. So thanks so much for watching what we learned in the markets this week, our yearly version of it. Hopefully this was helpful to you. If it was, could you do us a favor? You could do us a favor by hitting the like button and the subscribe button, whether on YouTube, Rumble, or whatever platform you're watching this on. Maybe you're listening to it on on a podcast, Spotify, Apple, Podcasts. That helps us push our content out to more people so we can help more people in the new year experience financial freedom, which helps them experience their worth in Christ. Thanks so much. We'll look forward to seeing you next week on what we learned in the markets this week, 2024 version.